Okay, good morning, good morning. Hare Krishna. Nice to see you all. I'm this, uh, here in Washington, this cold 20-something degree uh, winter day on a Sunday morning. Oops. And we are reading from this uh, amazing chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But we're reading Gajendra's prayers. Um, he's in a tough situation. Gajendra is, and he's pious, and, he, and we're going to learn about his previous, we probably will uh, have time to study his, a little bit about his previous life, um, and how he got into this situation that he is in. Um, I'm just getting the, uh... okay, so we're on text uh, 18. And we are, the first stop on today's train is text 19. So text 18. And Henry, I'm going to make you a co-host in case people show up uh, late. Make co-host. All right. So text number 18. So this is Gajendra continuing his prayers. My Lord, those who are completely freed from material contamination always meditate upon you within the cores of their hearts. You are extremely difficult to attain for those like me who are too attached to mental concoction. Home, relatives, friends, money, servants, and assistants. You are the Supreme Personality of God and uncontaminated by the modes of nature. You are the reservoir of all enlightenment, the Supreme Controller. I therefore offer my respectful obeisances unto you. So then text 19. After worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, those who are interested in the four principles of religion, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation, obtain from him what they desire. Okay, so what is it? Dharma, Artha, Kam, Moksha. What then is to be said of other benedictions? Indeed, sometimes the Lord gives a spiritual body to such ambitious worshipers. May that Supreme Personality of God, who is unlimitedly merciful, bestow upon me the benediction of liberation from this present danger and from the materialistic way of life. So it's interesting, right? He wants freedom from the present danger. And he wants, you know, to not be having this alligator grabbing his uh, leg. So, uh, so this purport is, is, is fascinating. Some men within this material world are akami, free from material desires. Okay, that's like a pure devotee, no material desires. Some are ambitious to get more and more material profit. That's sarvakamo. And some desire fulfillment in religious life, economic development, and sense, sense gratification, and finally liberation, moksha kama. And then Prabhupada quotes this very famous verse from the third chapter of the second canto, akama. Savakamova, Mokshakama, Udharadi, Tivrena, Bhakti Yogena, Yajeta Purusham Param. It is recommended that whatever one's position, whether one demands no material profit, all material profit, or ultimately liberation, he should offer his obese, obedient devotional service to the Lord, and one will get what he desires. Krishna is so kind. 
And he quotes a very famous verse from Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4. Ye yatamam prapadyante tams tatayva bajam yaham. The Lord reciprocates. Whatever even an ordinary living entity wants, Krishna gives. Krishna is situated in everyone's heart, and he gives that which is desired by the living entity. And another important verse, the 61st verse of the 18th chapter, Ishwara Bhagavad Gita, Ishwara Sarvabhutanam Hridesher Arjuna Tishtati, Ramayan Sarvabhutani, Yantra Rudhani Maya. The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart, O Arjuna, and is directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. Now listen to this. This is very interesting. The Lord gives everyone an opportunity to fulfill his ambitions. Even such a devotee as Juva Maharaj wanted the material benediction of, king, of a kingdom greater than that of his father. And although he received a spiritual body, he also got the kingdom. For the Supreme Personality of God, it does not disappoint anyone who takes shelter of his lotus feet. Therefore, since Gajendra, king of elephants, had surrendered to the Supreme Personality of God to get free from the present danger and indirectly from the present danger of materialistic life, why should the Supreme Personality of God not fulfill his desire? So we may hear that, and, and as is often the case, we may think, hmm, now I've read different things in different places. And it's important to understand, this was brought up, uh, and I'll send you the link when, it, when it's ready. There was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lecture by uh, Radhika Raman Prabhu uh, yesterday in the ISKCON Communications um, conference. And one of the points he was, he was talking about Srila Prabhupada and his writings and he said that one thing we have to understand is that Srila Prabhupada uh, and the previous Acharyas, when they're commenting on a verse, they are focusing on the point in that verse, which may be different than a focus on a different part of the Bhagavatam. So, so he's not always trying to reconcile the two, but rather focusing on what is the emphasis in this verse. So here the emphasis on this verse is about how Krishna fulfills the desires of the devotee, even if they have this mixture, right? Dhruva had this mixture. He, well, he, well, it's interesting in his case because when he, and Prabhupada doesn't bring this out in this purport, but elsewhere he does, when he got his spiritual desires fulfilled and then he thought, oh my God, about some of the things that he wanted previously, he felt very embarrassed, right? And, and he said, I was, I was praying for broken glass and now I've gotten the greatest diamond. Right. So um, how so what what since both of these have to be right, it seems that it's if Krishna fulfills a devotee's desire, that's up to Krishna. <laughs> Here we're hearing how Krishna fulfills everything, even material desires. Now listen to this from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, Krishna says, if one engages in my transcendental loving service. But at the same time, once the opulence of material enjoyment, he is very, very foolish. Indeed, he is just like a person who gives up ambrosia to drink poison. Since I am very intelligent, why should I give this fool material prosperity? Instead, I shall induce him to take the nectar of the shelter of my lotus feet and make him forget 
illusory material enjoyment. And then Prabhupada writes in the fifth canto, whenever Krishna is requested to fulfill one's desires, he undoubtedly does so. Okay, so that, that, that ties in directly with what we just read in this eighth canto. But he does not award anything which, after being enjoyed, will cause one to petition him again and again to fulfill further desires. When one has other desires but engages in the Lord's service, Krishna forcibly gives one shelter as lotus feet where one will forget all other desires. So that doesn't, so what we just read in the fifth canto, that certainly doesn't contradict what we just read in the eighth canto. It, it, in one sense, it's complement, it seems quite complementary or, or it um, reconciles because he says, when Krishna is requested to fulfill one's desires, he does it. Okay, that's what we just read. But he does not award anything which after being enjoyed will cause one to petition again and again to fulfill desires. Now in Dhruva's case, or even in Kajendra's case, um, he didn't want any more material desires. If, you know, he, okay, he's saying, you know, get, please get this alligator off my foot, off my leg, but he wants to go back to Godhead, right? So, so it fits in with what Prabhupada is saying in the fifth canto. When one has other desires but engages in the Lord's service, Krishna forcibly gives one shelter at his lotus feet, where one will forget all other desires. And that's certainly what's happened to our Gajendra in this, uh, in this um, purport or in this chapter. So what's the conclusion? Um, well, actually we get to it more in, in, in the next verse. So uh, I won't, uh, I'll just stop there and see if you have any questions or comments. Probably all of us at some point, if not now in the future, in our Krishna consciousness, we'll, we'll sometimes think, oh boy, I desired that. That was really dumb, you know, right? Uh, some of us have probably had that experience already. <clears throat> and you just go, in Hindi, kya kare, what to do? Let me just go on with my devotional service. <laughs> right? But Dhruva had such a deep realization, right? That, you know, that, that I comparing broken glass to a diamond. Deep. Hare Krishna. Yes, Guru Daspu. And obeisances to you and all the devotees. Um, <clears throat> it seems like, from this neophyte's point of view, that the Lord, in his interactions with these different devotees in the Bhagavatam, Dhruva, Narada, uh, where he says, you've seen me, but you won't see me again in this lifetime. So he knows the devotee's heart because he's in the heart of the devotee. And yet, even though the devotee's heart has changed, the Lord being all-knowing and, and free to act as he desires, he doesn't award devotional service immediately even to such a purified well I'm not, he awards devotional service but he doesn't award um, the spiritual world to a devotee even though uh, his heart has turned 
Um, so I, I guess when I'm, uh, if there's a question there, it's um, why wouldn't the Lord immediately, once he sees the devotee is, you know, uh, he's turned toward him and he's not going to turn back um, immediately act to bring him to the, to the spiritual world. In other words, why? Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's not a question that demands an answer because it's perfectly satisfying whatever the Lord does in one sense. Um, but why would the, why would the Lord Mm. extend a devotee's um, presence in the material world um, even though he knows the devotee is internally ready to go back to him yeah well uh, oops that shows the uh independent nature of krishna and he has his reasons of course with narada he had service for him to do. And also, by not appearing anymore to Narada, he also says that you will hanker for me more and more. And that hankering is, of course, the greatest devotion as we learn that the, the um, service in separation is even stronger than service in meeting. Vipralamba uh, is a verse compared to Samboga. Samboga meaning being with the Lord, this is, these words are generally used in terms of the gopis and Krishna and some, and Ipralamba being the mood of separation. But yeah, Krishna, that's, you know, Krishna deals, he's dealing with uh, Kajendra differently than he's going to, you know, slightly differently than Narada, than Dhruva. But in one sense, it's all the same in that he's dealing with them with great love and mercy and compassion and kindness but it may manifest externally um, differently. So, and that's, you know, that's one of the wonderful things of Krishna consciousness that, you know, Krishna is Krishna and Lord Ram is different than Krishna in some ways. And Lord Nishingadev is different than Ram and Krishna. And yet they're all, you know, Vishnu Tattva and Krishna is a source, but there's still different bobs, different uh, moods and, and different pastimes. Mm. So yes. Thank you for that nice answer. I'm looking at the verse, and it's interesting. In the verse, Gajendra says, "Indeed, sometimes the Lord gives a spiritual body to such ambitious worshippers." Yeah. yeah. So there you go. We're we're not, we're, but we're not to read from that that uh, Gajendra himself is asking for his virtual well he is he does ask for that later on definitely he has to get get me out of here <laughs> he he quotes uh george harrison get i hope to get out of this place he quotes george harrison <laughs> yes he quotes george harrison <clears throat> what is that that line right hope to get out of this place by the lord Sri krishna's grace my salvation from the material world so yes he was quoting george <laughs> Or more likely, George is quoting Gajendra. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the, this. This topic continues in the next uh, verse, which is actually two verses. 
uh, unalloyed devotees, Gajendra continues speaking to the Lord, who have no desire other than to serve the Lord, worship him in full surrender and always hear and chant about his activities, which are most wonderful and auspicious. Thus, they always merge in an ocean of transcendental bliss. Such devotees never ask the Lord for any benediction. I, however, am in danger. So he said, okay, he understands. You're not supposed to ask the Lord for anything. Then he's, but I'm in danger. Thus, I pray to the Supreme Personality of God, who is eternally existing, who is invisible, who is the Lord of all great personalities, such as Brahma, and who is available only by transcendental bhakti yoga. Being extremely subtle, he is beyond the sense, the reach of the, my senses and transcendental to all external realization. He is unlimited. He is the original cause and he is completely full in everything. I offer my obeisances unto him. Okay. By the way, uh, this is just as, as an aside. If you see my eye is red, it's... Um, I looked it up. It's it's often what it generally is is like a blood vessel burst somehow on the eye. Like if you sneeze too hard or you rub your eyes, a cough, and I something like that. And it generally they say it heals just by itself, but it may look a little weird on the screen today. So I'm you know still alive. Okay, so Prabhupada quotes the mo most famous verse from the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu: "Anyavi lasita sunyam." One should read the, this is a definition of pure bhakti. One should render devotional, transcendental devotional service, Uttama Bhakti, to the Supreme Lord Krishna favorably and without desire, without desire for material profit or gain through fruit of activities, fruit of activities, right? You, you know, some material desires or philosophical speculation can. That is called pure devotional service. Okay, now. Here we go. Unalloyed devotees have nothing to ask from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But Gajendra, the king of the elephants, was circumstantially asking for an immediate benediction because he had no other way to be rescued. Sometimes when there is no alternative, a pure devotee being fully dependent on the mercy of the Supreme Lord prays for some benediction. But in such a prayer, there is also regret. Like he really wishes, he or she really wishes they didn't have to ask anything from Krishna, only that they can serve more. But um, what to do? And if you look at that verse, I think we've spoken about this before, the verse that's quoted, it's uh, the first word, anya bilas, means desire. And the sita at the end of that means in general consciousness, not in, a, in an emergency consciousness. So if you're in a, you know, the, you see a car, you know, a car coming at you or something like that, you say, Krishna, help. That may not be like, how can I serve you? But it's an extraordinary situation. That's Anyabilasita. So, so basically what Rupa Goswami is saying there in that verse is in, in our normal consciousness, we should have no material desires. Um, but Prabhupada adds this real bhakti sentiment here with a sentence, but it, uh, but in such a prayer, there is also regret that the pure devotee just doesn't. I mean, it's such an exalted consciousness that they just want Krishna to be happy and they don't want it, that, that the, their needs are not even secondary, but they're not in the picture. But yet, when there's no alternative, 
sometimes a pure devotee will do this. One who always hears and chants. So now Prabhupada kind of explains this whole point more. One who always hears and chants about the transcendental pastimes of the Lord is always situated on a platform on which he has nothing to ask in terms of material benefits. So, okay, that's the pure devotee. They're so absorbed in hearing and chanting about Krishna. Yeah. Unless one is a completely pure devotee, one cannot enjoy the transcendental bliss derived from chanting and dancing in the ecstasy of the Sankirtana movement. Such ecstasy is not possible for an ordinary devotee. Okay, so now he just made it really hard for us because, you know, we probably will all think of ourselves as ordinary devotees. So we're not going to be able to chant and dance in the ecstasy of the Sankirtan movement. This is Bhakti Yoga. Therefore, the king of elephants, Kajendra, said, Adyatmika Yoga Gamyam, indicating that unless one is situated on the transcendental platform, one cannot approach the Supreme Lord. <clears throat> now Prabhupada smooths it all out <laughs> and gives us hope. The benediction of being able to approach the Lord can be achieved after many, many births. Yet, this is an important yet, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has awarded this benediction to everyone, even to the fallen souls who have no heritage of anything in spiritual life. That is actually being seen in the Krishna consciousness movement. Hmm. So you have to be really be pure and have all these great samskars born into a great family and grow up doing pujas and things like that. You know, that's generally a pure devotee um, doesn't just become a pure devotee by happenstance, but usually it's, you know, many, many lifetimes of practice and then born into a family. Um, and to get this exalted consciousness when you don't want to ask the Lord for anything. And yet, that last half of the, that sentence that we read is so helpful. Yet Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has awarded this benediction to everyone, even to the fallen souls who have no heritage of anything in spiritual life. And then you see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's followers they pick up on this mood and they say that, you know, Lord Chaitanya saves the most fallen first. And then in their humility, they say, okay, that's me. <laughs> that's me. They raise their head. So there's a lot going on in this purport, actually. It's quite an amazing purport. Um, talking about what pure bhakti is. Saying that we can, some we sometimes, and and in another place I couldn't find the quote, but I know it's there. So I, sometimes I just can't find it immediately, but I know it's there. Where Prabhupada says that a grihasta sometimes will ask the Lord for something material. It's just, it's just uh, part of not being as advanced as, uh, not being in as as favorable a situation as a brahmachari or a sannyasi. Um, so we may may do that sometimes, and yet. The regret is there knowing that well, I, this is not where I want to be, but this is where I'm at. And that's also okay, by the way, just as a general Krishna conscious, um, practical aspect of our bhakti, that, yeah, we, we all want to be up there, right? We all want to be like, you know, rubbing elbows with the great acharyas and feeling their mood of devotion. We may not be there, but not being there yet is okay and is good to recognize 
And so knowing what is the next step for me to not be in the comfort zone, right? You know about this thing, right? The comfort zone is just like, oh, I shouldn't I'm okay, I'm a devotee. Or, and not in the stress zone, that why aren't I like Rupa Goswami? But to be in the stretch zone where we're pushing ourselves every day to just take some steps closer to Krishna. So a lot in this wonderful purport. Your thoughts, questions, comments. It's really wonderful purport, Prabhu, that like I see Acharyas, um, like uh, Srila Prabhupada, again, he's proving that like, you know, he's a great Acharya. Even if there is like, you know, he don't want his devotees to get even a small tinge of material, uh, you know, attachment or asking, like, you know, even if he asks something, uh, we don't want to get confused. Uh, that's why he was emphasizing so much, even though it's very hard uh, to uh, tell, like um, he was mercifully giving this message for us. That's yeah. what came to mind, Prabhu. Yeah, and we, and we generally, not always, but we generally see Prabhupada laying down the, standard in his purports and then when and then in his dealing with individual disciples he will be more into the mood of you know adjusting according to time place and circumstance not always because you know you can't hold down the great acharya it's like i think i read this quote before right but um from thoreau or is it emerson emerson thoreau a foolish consistency is a hobgoblin of small minds Right. And Prabhu, and one more thing came, thought came to my mind. We are always in helpless situation, right? Like if we are in, you know, sometimes the Maya or like some, some, some ego comes like, oh, I can do this. But, uh, but like, you know, as we practice, like my, you know, I, I believe most of the devotees will have this realization that like we are in a helpless situation and like, you know, we just surrender and we basically always say Krishna, you know, for everything that like we basically believe in Krishna. So how to understand that? Well, the fact that you understand that you're a very advanced soul. Because no. <laughs> we are, we're, we're always, we are uh, Kamala, Dala, Jala, Jivana, Talamala, right? We're always like the water on the lotus leaf. And at any moment we could, you know, something uh, fantastic can happen to us that we didn't plan, you know, in the material sense and something you know, um, that's not so nice may happen to us at any time. And, and so to, but, but putting aside that, the fact that we are always dependent upon Krishna is, um, it's such a, it's so unfortunate that we're like that <laughs> because, you know, Krishna gives us so many opportunities to think of him in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, and we think that, you know, the air that I, you know, I can't exist without Krishna, the air that I breathe, the food that I eat, you know, Prabhupada would say such nice things like you can't eat nuts and bolts, right? So like this morning, okay, I had, um, I had two, or uh, two, um, what are those small oranges called? Um, mandarins? Lamentines. Yeah, yeah. So I had two of those. I had oatmeal, right? Did any of that come from man-made things? The water to put in the oatmeal? the uh, cinnamon to put in the oatmeal, the chia seeds, any of that come from, from a factory? No. <laughs> right, right. Or the air that I'm breathing right now and the nice warm air that I'm breathing right now. <laughs> uh, we were talking earlier about how um, 
I'm in a hotel and I have it up to 73 degrees and some of the devotees here are in their 60s. They have it in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what you're saying, Shakshi Gopal, was so, yeah, you know, there, there's so many ways that Krishna and Prabhupada have given us to always remember that we're dependent uh, on God. And yet this world is a place of forgetfulness. And not just, you know, forgetting yeah. to uh, pay the rent on time, but uh, forgetting God, yep. forgetting <clears throat> Krishna and our relationship with him. And Thank so you. it's an uphill struggle, actually. It's an uphill struggle to reawaken. But what's so nice is it's there. We just have to awaken it. So thank you for that, Shakshi. Any other thoughts, comments? Yeah. Right. I, 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 oh, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, Andy. No, just very quickly. <clears throat> uh, last week's purports, we covered that um, Prabhupada said, we're at war with the material world in Krishna consciousness movement. <clears throat> so there's two sides. There's this your relationship with Krishna, which has been enabled by Sri uh, Chaitanya Mahabrabhu. But then there's, we are not, we're at war, right? Uh, and the, the Maya is the empire strikes back. We're always <laughs> rebels. So it's going to be dicey. It's going to be dicey. We are rebels. We're fighting a war, but we're not the dominant power, really, in this material yeah. world. We're rebels. So that's okay. the other side of it that makes it look scary and why things don't always seem to come out right away, because we're fighting this war. <clears throat> we're rebels, yeah. We're rebels with a cause. Yeah, and I really love that. I've been meditating on that lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Maya, this is Maya's kingdom. Yep. And, and Maya has, you know, I would say this is the number one tool that Maya has created in the past 11 years, the smartphone. 80% um, of the world now has a smartphone. Did you know that? Yeah, 80%. I was just yeah. thinking, I was just thinking the other day, that, uh, or this morning maybe it was, that um, especially when I was living in India, um, I would get the news actually like once a month. <laughs> but even as a child, uh, there was two sources of news, Walter Cronkite in the evening and uh, the newspaper in the morning. And that was it. You know, and there really wasn't any other source of, of news. During, you know, now there's a 24-hour news cycle and, and, and we get to know what's going on halfway around the world. Imagine like in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time, nobody knew what was going on, you know, a thousand miles away. Let's speak of 20,000 miles away. Nobody really cared. It wasn't, you know, but we, we've gotten so connected into all these distractions, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah, one has to really um, consider what, what distractions they want to be distracted by. Or I think I showed you this, right? I, I bought this thing. This is a thing with a lock on it and I put my at night I put my phone inside I shut it and I set it for about nine or ten hours and uh, I can't you can't open it until it it till it you know unless you want to break it <laughs> and so I can't look at my phone for all the uh, nine or ten hours and there and so I get to wake up chant Hare Krishna and read or something like that, you know, do something that, and, and uh, I can't look at my phone until <laughs> the time is up. 
And I, you know, I had to take those extreme measures, which was like, that's kind of weird. You don't trust yourself. Yeah, I don't trust myself. Um, there's actually a, um, at, you know, it's, it's part of iPhone now that it'll tell you how many times you pick up your phone during the day. You know that? And it's scary to, um, I don't know if I can, I probably can't find it real quick, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild how, how often, uh, how often we do that. And, and I was thinking, you know, mine is, mine, mine was much lower than some others. I think mine was 55 times last time I checked, but they, they say often young people it'll be over 200 times in a day. Would you say addiction? Yeah. Yeah. Addiction. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for that. Uh, I, I just picking up on your point about uh, we're at war with the illusory energy. Yeah. Oh, and then there's, I'll just read one other thing because you reminded me of this beautiful um, Saragrahi, this beautiful prayer by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's see. Yes, yes. So one of, one of his lines was, uh, so push thy onward march, O soul, against an evil deed that stands with soldiers hate and lust, a hero be indeed. Maintain thy post in spirit world as firmly as you can. Let never matter push thee down, O stand heroic man. Right, so beautiful. And then I'll just read the last two lines because they're so devotional. O Saragrahi, Saragrahi means like surrender. O Saragrahi Vaishnav soul, thou art an angel fair. Lead, lead me on to Brindavan and spirit's power declare. There rests my soul from matter free upon my lover's arms. Eternal peace and spirit's love are all my chanting charms. Beautiful poem by Srila Bhakti Vinodhaku. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Andy. Yeah. Okay, so we move on then. So we're going up quite a few verses to 32. So we'll just read the prayers of Gajendra up to 32. So. The next is uh, 22 to 24. The Supreme Personality of God creates his minor parts and parcels, the Jiva Tattva. We have Jiva Tattva on the call today. <laughs> Jiva Tattva Prabhu. Beginning with Lord Brahma, the demigods, and the expansions of Vedic knowledge, Sama, Rig, Yajur, and Atarva, the Vedas, the four original Vedas, and including all other living entities, moving and non-moving, with their different names and characteristics. As the sparks of a fire or the shining rays of the sun emanate from their source and merge into it again and again, the mind, the intelligence, the senses, the gross and subtle material bodies, and the continuous transformations of the different modes of nature all emanate from the Lord and again merge into him. He is neither demigod nor demon, neither human nor bird or beast. He is not woman, man, or neuter, nor is he an animal. He is not a material quality, a fruit of activity, a manifestation or non-manifestation. He is the last word in the discrimination of not this, not that. And he is unlimited. All glories to the Supreme Personality of God. That's, now that's very cool. He is the last word in the discrimination, not this, not that, right? Because that's how um, sometimes they say that impersonally, in that the Supreme Lord is not this, not that, and they lead to an impersonal 
understanding. He, but he's the last word in the discrimination of Neti. Um, very, very, very wonderful. And, and I think this comes up in the next verse, and I think we mentioned it last week, but we do understand that Gendra didn't have a very clear idea of the personality of God. He understood his quality. So he was more on the super soul level than the personal, personal, although Krishna ultimately as a person appears to him. But at this time, he's kind of a, um, being a little more general, but he understands that God's a person and not impersonal. So the next verse, I do not wish to, so here's that point that we said before, I do not wish to live anymore after I am released from the attack of the crocodile. What is the use of an elephant's body covered externally and internally by ignorance? I simply desire eternal liberation from the covering of ignorance. That covering is not destroyed by the influence of time. Now, fully desiring release from material life, I offer my respectful obeisances unto that supreme person who is the creator of the universe. So that's his quality. So he's, he's more focused on his quality than his person, who is himself the form of the universe, who is nonetheless transcendental to this cosmic manifestation. He is the supreme knower of everything in this world, the super soul of the universe. He is the unborn, supremely uh, situated Lord. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the supreme, the super soul. There you go, super soul. The master of all mystic yoga, who is seen in the core of the heart by perfect mystics when they are completely purified and free from the reactions of fruitive activity by practicing bhakti yoga. And here's where Prabhupada says, the king in the purport, the king of the elephants, Kajendra, simply accepted that there must be someone who, is, who has created this cosmic manifestation and has supplied its ingredients. That should be admitted by everyone, even the most determined atheists. Why then do the non-devotees and atheists not admit this? The reason is that they are polluted by the reactions of their sinful activities. Because, you know, from the simple-hearted point of view, even if you talk to a scientist who, I, I don't even know what it is now, the latest uh, singularity, is that what they say was the cause of the universe? But the simple question would be, where did the singularity come from? And of course, no one can answer that. It was just, it just is, right? It just is there. You know, and, that, and some people may accept that, but Prabhupada's purport here would say that you accept that due to impiety. <laughs> But that, you know, a pious person would just understand that, well, there must be some cause behind that. And who's the cause of the singularity? Who's the cause of the dark hole? Who's the cause of the primordial soup? Or, or whatever, you know, the latest uh, theory is. So that's what Prabhupada is stating. Um, my Lord, you are the controller of formidable strength in three kinds of energy. You appear as a reservoir of all sense pleasure and the protector of the surrendered souls. You possess unlimited energy, but you are unapproachable by those who are unable to control their senses. I offer my respectful obeisances unto you again and again. I offer my respectful obeisances, 29, unto the supreme personality of God, by whose, lose, by whose illusory energy, the jiva, who is part and parcel of God. So this is that point we were just talking about. Forgets his real, this is what Shakshi Gopal is saying, forgets his real identity because of the bodily concept of life. I take shelter of the Supreme Personality of God whose glories are difficult to understand. 
then Sukadev Goswami says, when the king of the elephants was describing the supreme authority without mentioning any particular person, that's a point, he did not invoke the demigods headed by Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, Indra, and Chandra. Thus, none of them approached him. However, because Lord Hari is the super soul, Purushottama, the personality of Godhead, he appeared before Gajendra. 31. Sukadev continues, after understanding the awkward condition of Gajendra, who had offered his prayers, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Hari, who lives everywhere, appeared with the demigods, who were offering prayers to him. Carrying his disc and other weapons, he appeared there on the back of the, his carrier, Gajendra, with great speed, according to his desire. Thus he appeared before Gajendra. Text 32, Gajendra had been forcibly captured by the crocodile in the water and was feeling acute pain. But when he saw that Narayana, yielding, wielding his disc, was coming in the sky on the back of Garuda, he immediately took a lotus flower in his trunk and with great difficulty, due to his painful condition, he uttered the following words, O my Lord Narayana, Master of the Universe, O Supreme Personality of God, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. So we can take some inspiration from this. Um, I can tell you personally, I find it hard to remember Krishna when I'm not feeling well, when I'm sick. I basically think that... Um, I have to do the needful to take care of my health and then find some way for the time to pass between now and when the medicine takes its course. <laughs> but here we see with Gajendra a different, much more spiritual tact, right? That he, he was in great pain, very little energy, but still he found this lotus flower and offered it to the Lord and took shelter of the Lord. <clears throat> well, that's purport. The king of the elephants was so very eager to see the supreme personality of God that when he saw the Lord coming in the sky with great pain and in a feeble voice, he offered respect to the Lord. So now this now we're now we're getting really um, advanced Krishna consciousness. A devotee does not consider a dangerous position to be dangerous. For in such a dangerous position, he can fervently pray to the Lord in great ecstasy. So you don't usually think dangerous position, great ecstasy. You don't usually see those two um, mentioned in the same uh, sentence. Thus, a devotee regards danger as an opportunity. Tate nukampam sukshamikshamano. Now that verse, uh, 10, 14, 8, is going to be mentioned twice in the next chapter also. When a devotee is in great danger, he sees that danger to be the great mercy of the Lord. Because why? Because it is an opportunity to think of the Lord very sincerely and with undiverted attention. So, so I'm sure all of us, you know, we pray to Krishna. How, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but how sincere is our prayer? How strong is our desire? How um, strong is our um, greed? How great is our utsahan, our enthusiasm? Right? It's, it can be a little bit, like, kind of again as Shakshi Kupal, you know, it could be a little bit that, well, we don't think we're in such a precarious position. So 
you know, Krishna, please help. But here we see Gajendra really, he, he's exhausted all other avenues. Right, so ideally we wouldn't have to exhaust all other avenues before we pray sincerely. Ideally by one, philosophically understanding our precarious situation and two, associating with those who um, are more advanced in their, um, their greed to attain Krishna. That can help us, okay. Tatenuka, then Prabhupada quotes the verse again. Tate anukampam sukshamikshamano punjana evatma kritam vipakam. He does not accuse the Supreme Personality of Godhead of having let his devotee fall into such a dangerous condition. Okay, so we see that a lot. If there was a God, why would he let why would he let this happen to me or to the world? Rather, he considers that dangerous condition to be due to his past misdeeds and takes an opportunity, now he's, Prabhupada is paraphrasing this verse, 10, 14, 8. He considers the dangerous condition to be due to his past misdeeds and takes it as an opportunity to pray to the Lord and offer thanks. Imagine that, offering thanks for having been given such an opportunity. <laughs> Woo, that's, that's, that's a deep consciousness. When a devotee lives in this way, his salvation, his going back home, back to God, it is guaranteed. We can see this to be true from the example of Gajendra, who anxiously prayed to the Lord and thus received an immediate chance to return home back to Godhead. Now, this is easier said than done, but it is the test of Krishna consciousness. Where is our shelter? Where is our rest? Where do we seek? Do we seek in our strength? Do we seek in spacing out on Netflix? Do we, uh, you know, or do we seek it in, in Krishna? When we are in a uh, troubled situation. And that is connected also to our general desire. And this is interesting because as we said before, Gajendra had this mixture, but our general desire is that we think that the material circumstances, whatever we're in, they need to change for us to be happy or for us to even think of Krishna as a nice person, <laughs> right? But really the devotee, the advanced devotee sees that this is an opportunity to come closer to Krishna. It's a test from Krishna. And if I pass it, I develop a more intimate relationship with him. But it's not easy. Easier said than done. What are your thoughts, questions, comments? Okay. In that case, unless you have something, we'll move on. I, to my understanding, um, if you hold on to your spiritual master, um, everything is easy, Prabhuji. So, and if you have uh, mercy of your spiritual master, uh, having faith in the spiritual master, that he definitely gets that connection back, even right. though what you're saying is difficult, but like, um, we, yes. you know, we are right. so much. Uh... Because holding on to the spiritual master means holding on to Krishna. Yeah. Yes. Yes, ya prasadad bhagavat prasado. Yes, ya prasadan nagati kutopi. Yes. So yes, by, by the blessings of 
Krishna's great devotees, then anything is possible. So you're right. Actually, that's that's the key is getting the blessings of uh, of great devotees. And so we're going to find out that in some ways, both the alligator and Gajendra had got blessings in their previous lives. We're just about, if there's nothing else, then we'll start with that because that's what starts at the beginning of the next chapter. Unless you have any other comments or questions. Uh, yeah, well, regarding that uh, previous, the atheists also have to accept Yes. And so um, there's a book written by either an atheist or agnostic. I forget the name of the author. The name of the book is just six numbers. And in this book, the author, he's a astrophysicist, something at that level, you know, very high level. So he has studied these different physical constants, for example, speed of light and et cetera. And he has compared their ratios and he has said that, that if they were off by just a little bit, life would not be possible. So, so he is saying, you know, based on that data, that um, uh, all of this order could not come from just chaos or, so there has to be some uh, intelligence behind it. So uh -huh. indirectly he's accepting God, but you know, not coming out directly and saying it. Right, so that's uh, Martin Rees, I think his name is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So we have one verse left, I believe, in this chapter, and then we're going on to the next chapter. Uh, yes. Thereafter, seeing Gajendra in such an aggrieved position, the unborn Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari, immediately got down from the back of Garuda by his causeless mercy and pulled the king of elephants along with the crocodile out of the water. Then in the presence of all the demigods who were looking on, the Lord severed the crocodile's mouth from its body with his disc. In this way, he saved Vajendra, the king of the elephants. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the eighth canto, third chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Gajendra's Prayers of Surrender. So now in this chapter, we get some background information, right? And and it's I love when this happens in the Bhagavatam or in, you know, you get a glimpse because we sometimes we just see what's in front of us, right? But we don't know, for example, when something happens to us, what we did in a previous life to deserve what we're getting, either so-called positive or negative, right? But here we're getting that little glimpse at the wait, wait, what happened? How did Gajendra? How did that happen? How did he say these prayers? He was an elephant. And, and the crocodile, why did the crocodile attack him, right? So we're going to get the, uh, the, uh, the backroom story. Sri Sukadev Goswami said, when this is the beginning of chapter four, when the Lord delivered Gajendra, king of elephants, all the demigods, sages, and Gandharvas headed by Brahma and Shiva praised this activity of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and showered flowers upon both the Lord and Gajendra. Now I chose this purport and I said, and I chose one and four because one and four go together. So let's read up to four and then come back and read the purports to one and four. So chapter two, there was a beating of kettle drums in the heavenly planets. The inhabitants of Gandharva Loka began to dance and sing. 
while great sages and the inhabitants of Charnaloka and Siddhaloka offered prayers to the Supreme Personality of God at Purushottama, three and four. The best of the Gandharvas, King Huhu, having been cursed by Devala Muni, had become a crocodile. Okay, so the crocodile was cursed by Devala Muni. Now, having been delivered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he assumed a very beautiful form as a Gandharva. Understanding by whose mercy this had happened, he immediately offered his respectful obeisances with his head and began chanting prayers just suitable for the transcendental Lord, the Supreme Eternal, whose worship by choice by the choicest verses. Okay, so purport to one, they're both short. It is evident from this chapter that great sages like Devala Rishi, Narada Muni, and Agastya Muni will sometimes curse someone. The curse of such personality, however, is in fact a benediction. Both the crocodile, who had been a Gandharva in his previous life, and Gajendra, who had been a king named Indradumna, were cursed, but both of them benefited. Indradumna, in his birth as an elephant, attained salvation and became a personal associate of the Lord in Vaikuntha, and the crocodile regained his status as a Gandharva. We find evidence in many places that the curse of a great saint or devotee is not a curse, uh, but a benediction. And then to three and four, the story of how the Gandharva had become a crocodile will be described later. The curse by which the Gandharva took his position was actually a blessing, not a curse. One should not be displeased when a saintly person curses someone, for this curse indirectly is a blessing. The Gandharva had the mentality of an inhabitant of the celestial planetary system, and for him to become an associate of the Supreme Lord would have taken millions of long years. So it would have taken a long time if he just was hanging out in heaven, heavenly planets. However, because he was cursed by Devala Rishi to become a crocodile, and in only one life was fortunate enough to see the Supreme Personality of God face to face, and be promoted to the spiritual world to become one of the Lord's associates. Similarly, Gajendra was also delivered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead when he was freed from the curse of Augustimony. So this is a theme, right? That Because you sometimes wonder, why are these great sages become angry? Right? Because they do seem to get angry pretty often. But it's always a benediction. Look at Narada Muni. That he, he cursed uh, Mani Griva and Nalakuvera, right? To become trees, but what kind of trees? In the courtyard of Krishna, they had darshan of Krishna every day, and then they were they were, and then they were liberated by Krishna. So, you know what a benediction! Or you know, devotees. Of course, it wasn't pleasant, but devotees would often reflect on being chastised by Srila Prabhupada as a great benediction. And Prabhupada writes in one purport that. The spiritual master does not chastise the neophyte disciple because a neophyte disciple will be like, hey, you know, why is he getting a my kit? You know, who does he think he is or might, won't take it? But an advanced disciple who has, as uh, Shakshi Kopal, who was saying, you know, some real love and a loving exchange with the spiritual master um, can take it more. It's easier. Yeah. Or, or takes it in the right way. Put it that way. Yes. And the, the, the interesting thing about, you know, what many people would say about Srila Prabhupada, and this must be true also of the Rishis, is that sometimes Prabhupada would get very angry at a disciple. And then like, like one second later, let's say after that disciple left the room, he would just be totally back 
to be totally in transcendental consciousness. So the anger was just brought out to serve Krishna. It was not controlled by rajas or tamas, especially tamas, the mode of ignorance like that. So only to, only to be of benefit. Henry, you were going to say something? Yes, so um, was he really angry or was he just acting angry to make a point? He was, he was acting angry to serve Krishna. Yes, and, and, and the service to Krishna was to make a point, right? Like, you know, you've had a lot, of, you had a lot of association with Talmud Kishmar. Were you ever chastised by him? Most people were. Oh, yeah, and it's one of the most glorious moments of my life. I remember them with such relish, so strongly, so vigorously. I can feel my heart beating just thinking about them. Those were the, <laughs> some of the most wonderful gifts he gave me. Yes. <laughs> and he, he always had a little, of, if you saw it, a little almost of smile as he's doing it, you know. <laughs> When I, before I was getting married to uh, Ananda Vrindavanishri, uh, he said, don't get married. Just come with me to China. It's um, Being with me is much more fun than being with any other woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, so, so yeah. I mean, when we get angry, you know, we become all emotional and everything and our blood pressure and all that stuff and everything. And it sometimes takes us a while to calm down, you yeah. know, but like you say, you know, like the advanced devotee, it's like instantly, you know, um, instantly it's gone, you know, and. Uh, the yes, because they're not they're Yeah, they're doing it out of service to uh, to Krishna, right, rather than uh, being affected by the lower modes of material nature. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yes. So, um, and, and, and so you can imagine that if that's true with us, that we see it as blessings and what to speak of, you know, obviously exalted souls like, uh, like Gandharva, like the alligator or Indra Maharaj became Gajendra. Uh, Chitraketu was also cursed by Parvati, right? Shringi cursed Parikshit Maharaj. And they all have this in common. They saw it as Christian's arrangement and they weren't upset at the cursor and often took it as a benediction. You know, Shitra Ketu immediately paid obeisances to Mother Parvati. Right? So, yes. Um, no problem, Man. Hare Krishna. Um, I remember I was giving a class once in Vrindavan I think it was it was either Vamana Dave or Raha Dave's appearance day, and I was telling the pastime, and I guess I kind of told it with a bit of a smile on my face, you know, and uh, almost like not taking it so deeply and seriously. And so at the end, uh, Buri Jampu came up to me and said, you know, basically wipe that smile off your face. You know, you may, you really uh, didn't do justice to that pastime by making it sound story-like and I thought I'd given like a good class you know and I whoops I messed that one up <laughs> uh yeah and I think I've learned a lesson from that also uh so Hare Krishna <laughs> all right so, Prabhu, yes I have small clarification um, yes uh, it may not be relevant directly um the Agastya Muni 
is one of the Muni's great Muni's um, been referenced. Uh, I'm really wondered like in Bhagavatam, his name is firstly referred here. Um, he's mostly a Shaivite, uh, means like he's a, you know, uh, a devotee of Murugar, like a devotee of a Shiva or something like that. Um, and uh, Durvasa is like, he's a very angry person, like we know that. So something, so he, they are there they are the supermost like you know greatest rushi why they are all like having they all know the supreme god why they are all having different perspectives about the supreme lord well um in the fourth canto it says the great sage augustia the great sage augustia married the firstborn daughter of uh malaya dvaja the avowed devotee of lord krishna yeah yes and Prabhupada writes that the name Agastya Muni is very significant. Agastya Muni represents the mind. The word Agastya indicates that the senses do not act independently. And the word Muni means mind. So uh, he married a great devotee of Krishna's. Uh, and it says also at the end of the sixth chapter, uh, the third chapter of the sixth canto, that when the great sage Agastya, the son of Kumba, was residing in the Malaya hills and worshiping the supreme personality of Godhead, I approached him and he explained this. So it was Agastya who told, who spoke the pastime of Ajamila, which is all about the holy name. So I don't know if he's always, uh, he seems like he's dedicated to uh, Krishna. Okay. Yeah, but, but like, you know, I'm from South and I have seen... Uh lot of his temples and then like you know things like that so yeah yeah uh, and so the way he's portrayed perhaps in, in, in the Sri Sampradaya may be slightly different than in the Gaudiya but this is right from the Bhagavatam um, so and, and you know people have many as, uh, aspects to them where was I just reading oh where was this I was just reading this yesterday thank you for this uh, I was because yesterday was let me see if I can find it um yesterday was the disappearance of ramachandra kaviraj um and so i was reading about him and so he was born into a shakti family worshipers of lord shiva and of durga um and, you know, the whole, this amazing thing happened. He got, he got married. And as the marriage procession was going, the procession passed Srinivasacharya's house. And, and Ramachandra saw Srinivasacharya and said, that's an amazing sadhu. And Srinivasacharya said, that's an amazing. And the next day he left his, he didn't leave his wife permanently, but he, he left his home uh, and went to find Srinivasacharya. And they embraced each other and they realized that they have, you know, a relationship from a previous life, right? Um, let's see. So here we So Ramachandra stayed with the Acharya and studied the literature of the six Goswamis under his tutelage, tutor, tutor, tutorship. Acharya Prabhu, Srinivas Acharya, was extremely pleased to see his gentle and polite behavior and his deep spiritual nature. On the next auspicious day, he initiated Ramachandra with Radha Krishna, the Radha Krishna mantra. After some time, Ramachandra returned to his house. When the Shaktas saw he had been initiated into Vaishnava religion, they became very upset. Ramachandra, however, was undaunted. With tilak on his body in 12 places and a japa mala in his hand, 
he sat down in front of them and began to chant the holy names. One day, as Ramachandra was proceeding to his house, after having taken his bath, his Shakta, Shakta neighbors called him, Kaviraj, without worshiping Lord Shiva, how is it that you are going home? Your grandfather was a great devotee of Lord Shiva. Have you given up Lord Shiva's worship? Ramachandra replied, Lord, listen to this. Lord Shiva and Brahma are incarnations of the two material modes created by Lord Krishna. Sri Krishna himself is the source of all incarnations. Therefore, by worshiping Lord Krishna, everyone's worship is performed. Just as by watering the root of the tree, all the leaves and branches become nourished. Now, here's the interesting point. I mean, that was also interesting. Prahlad, Dhruva, Bibishana, and others were dear devotees of Sri Krishna. Therefore, Lord Shiva and Brahma were naturally favorably disposed to them. Whereas Ravana, Kumbhakarna, Banasura, and other demons were only worshipped, only devotees of Lord Shiva and not devotees of Lord Krishna. Thus, their ultimate end was simply, be, was simply to be destroyed. So these great devotees, Prahlad, Dhruva, Bibhishan, they were devotees of Krishna, but they also, therefore they also got the blessings of Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma. But the devotees of Lord Shiva didn't necessarily get the blessings of Lord Krishna. <clears throat> and then he goes on like that. Um, but I thought that was interesting. So yes, you know, we may emphasize different because the Bhagavatam is the ultimate <coughs> answer. And we know Ramanujacharya didn't, didn't place much emphasis on the Bhagavatam actually, right? Uh, so there may be different emphasis and different sampradayas a bit. Thank yeah. you, Prabhu. Yeah, Hare Krishna. All right. Uh, well, we still have 20 minutes. Fantastic. Uh, let me go back to... Uh, by the way, it's not like... <laughs> I think you understand, right? It's not like I have this great memory. I just typed Augustia into the uh, database and came up with all that information. <laughs> Completely understood. When you read the purports, like I understood that. And <laughs> I, I, from, uh, from the purports only, I remember Augustia Muni has been referred as mind. Uh, I remember that, but still, like, you know, I, you know, he he's not like he didn't talk to Ravana or like you know any demons. Like he's like a very pious person, yeah. To my understanding, uh, and like he's mostly prayed, pray, did a lot of prayers to Muruga, uh, Lord Muruga. And he, you know, who knows? He may have made different aspects of his life. I assume he lived for a very long time. Yes, yes. Right. He's one of the powerful one uh, in seven. And and also. Um, the uh, emphasis in different Puranas will, is different, right? And the emphasis of the Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana, which Dharma Projito Kaitor Vata Paramo Satam, that it right from the very beginning is only talking about pure bhakti. So uh, this is just a conjecture, but it, you know, it'll, it'll mainly focus on Augustus' devotional aspects, perhaps more than others. Thank you. That's a wonderful point, Prabhu. Thank you. Okay, so let us carry on. And it's such a short chapter. We may finish it today. We may or may not see what Krishna wills, but we are going up to 11 and 12. Okay, so here we go. Text number five. Having been favored by the causeless mercy of the Supreme Personality of God, and having regained his original form, King Huhu, what a name, huh? Huhu. Uh, circumambulated the Lord and offered his obeisances. Then in the presence of all the demigods headed by Brahma, 
he returned to Gandharva Loka. He had been freed from of all sinful reactions. Because Gajendra, king of elephants, text six, had been touched directly by the hands of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he was immediately freed from all material ignorance and bondage. Thus he received the salvation of Surupya Mukti, in which he achieved the same bodily features as the Lord, being dressed in yellow garments and possessing four hands. Wow. And uh, I, I read this and I was thinking, gosh, I wish I, I should become more of a pujari, because it says here that um, if, in the purport, if one is favored by the Supreme Personality of Godhead by having his gross body touched by the Lord, his body turns into a spiritual body and he can go back home, back to Godhead. Gajendra assumed the spiritual body when his body was touched by the Lord. Similarly, Dhruva Maharaj assumed his spiritual body in this way. Archana Padati, which is a, it's also, there's a book by that, you know, the, about, the de, about the daily worship of the deity, provides an opportunity to touch the body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is in the form of the deity. And thus it enables one to be fortunate enough to get a spiritual body and go back home, back to God. How nice. Text seven. This Kajendra was formerly, had formerly been a Vaishnava and the king of a country known as Pandya, which is the providence of Dravida, South India. In his previous life, he was known as Indrajumna Maharaj. Indrajumna Maharaj retired from family life and went to the Malaya Hills, where he had a small cottage for his ashrama. He wore matted locks on his head and always engaged in austerities. Once while observing a vow of silence, he was fully engaged in the worship of the Lord and absorbed in the ecstasy of love of Godhead. When King Indra Maharaj was engaged in ecstatic meditation, worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the great sage Agastya Muni arrived there, surrounded by his disciples. When the Muni saw that Maharaj Indra who was sitting in a secluded place, remained silent and did not follow the etiquette of offering him a reception, he was very angry. So, you know, in those, we have to understand in those days, um, the Varna Ashram system and the etiquette was just etched in stone. It was etched in stone like that. Um, and so, you know, the, the fact that he didn't do this was like, oh my God, how could you not do this? You know, uh, of course he didn't, he was, he was absorbed in love of God. And this gives us some, I was just listening. So what I was saying yesterday, Radhika Raman Prabhu was making these amazing comments. He's trying to understand tradition and modernity and the balance. He, he said, for example, Lord Chaitanya, after he took sannyas, he only ate at Brahmin's houses, as far as you can see in the Chaitanya Charitam because that was fixed. A sannyasi would never eat at a non-Brahmin's house. So he followed that etiquette, but then he totally established the Vaishnava principle that, that a Vaishnava is beyond this by bringing food every day to Haridas Thakur, by embracing Haridas Thakur, who was totally an outcast from, from Varnashram society. And then what to speak of dancing with his dead body and carrying it into the, you know, to take bath in the, in the uh, ocean. You, you know, first of all, you don't touch a dead body as a Brahmin or a sannyasi. And what to speak, the body of an untouchable, you know, uh, uh, right. Uh, and so, but it's such an interesting balance that on one hand, and then on the other hand, he was really establishing 
he didn't on one hand he didn't disturb the 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 customs of the day and on the other hand he blew them to smithereens and so you know um so here we're seeing i'm a brahmin i'm a muni and this king is not going to stand up when i walk in what right of course it's all krishna's arrangement etc but yes Agastya Muni then spoke this curse against the king. This king, Indra is not gentle. Being low and uneducated, he has insulted a Brahmana. He may therefore enter into the region of darkness and receive the dull, uh, dumb body of an elephant. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So now uh, 11 and 12, which I think, yes, we're going to talk about that. So now these next two, ver these next three, ver these next 11 and 12 is one, and then 13, Prabhupada quotes Tatenu Kampam again, both times. Sukadev Goswami continued, my dear king, after Augusta Muni had thus cursed King Indra Dumna, the Muni left that place along with his disciples. Since the king was a devotee, he accepted Augusta Muni's curse as welcome because it was the desire of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, although in his next life, he got the body of an elephant, because of devotional service, he remembered how to worship and offer prayers to the Lord. Okay. Um, just give me a second. All right, purport. This is the unique position of a devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although the king was cursed, he welcomed the curse because the devotee always is always aware that nothing can happen without the desire of the Supreme Lord. Although the king was not at fault, Augusta Muni cursed him. And when this happened, the king considered it to be due to his past misdeeds. This is a practical example of how a devotee thinks. He regards any reverses, in life as blessings of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, instead of being agitated by such reverses, he continues his activities of devotional service and Krishna takes care of him and enables him to be promoted to the spiritual world back to Godhead. If a devotee has to suffer the reactions of his past misdeeds, the Supreme Lord arranges for him to be given only a token of these reactions. So two things, first of all, the devotee sees this, right? Uh, that nothing happens by chance, right? And he welcomes such thing as a curse. But then this next point, that, that if, if he does, is getting some reactions due to his karma, that's Prabhupada's translation of, or past misdeeds is his translation of karma. Um, he feels that the Krishna has reduced it. He's given a token. And very soon he is freed from all reactions of material contamination. One should therefore adhere to devotional service and the Lord himself will very soon see to one's promotion to the spiritual world. A devotee should not be disturbed by unfortunate circumstances. He must continue his regular program, depending on the Lord for everything. The word upadharayan, considering, is very significant in this verse. This word indicates that a devotee knows what is what. He understands what is happening in material conditioned life. So he sees the Krishna hand in things, the Krishna magic, 
in, in his life, in both up and her life, in both ups and downs, like that. Okay, uh, should we read the next one and then combine them in terms of this point? Upon delivering the king of the elephants from the clutches of the crocodile and from material existence, which resembles a crocodile, the Lord awarded him the status of Sarupya Mukti, means having the same form as the Lord. In the presence of the Gandharvas, the Siddhas, and the other demigods who were praising the Lord for his wonderful transcendental activities, the Lord, sitting on the back of his carrier Garuda, returned to his all-wonderful, all-wonderful abode and took Garuda with him. Wow. Um, and let's, uh, okay. He took Garuda with him. In this no, verse, the word Bimoksha, what's that? Took, took the gendra with him. Oh, the, who did I say? Garuda? <laughs> Although it's the same thing, he becomes an eternal associate. Yeah, thank, thank you for that correction. In this verse, the word vimoksha is significant. For a devotee, moksha or mukti, salvation, means getting the position of the Lord's associate. In other words, it doesn't just mean getting freed from miseries. It means getting a Lord's association. The impersonalists are satisfied to get the liberation of merging into the Brahman effulgence. But for a devotee, mukti means not to merge into the effulgence of the Lord, but to be directly promoted to the Vaikuntha planets and to become an associate of the Lord. In this verse, there is a relevant, in this regard, there's a relevant verse. And here's that verse for the third time, but in its complete. Uh, and Prabhupada says that this verse should be the guide of all devotees. One who seeks your compassion and thus tolerates all kinds of adverse conditions due to the karma of his past deeds, who engages always in your devotional service with his mind, words, and body, and who always offers obeisances unto you is certainly a bona fide candidate for liberation. So then Prabhupada continues, a devotee who tolerates everything in this material world and patiently executes his devotional service can become Mukti Padesa a bona fide candidate for liberation. Now Prabhupada defines Dayabak. The word Dayabak refers to a hereditary right to the Lord's mercy. And I've told, I've said this before, right? It literally, it refers to in, 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 in Hindu law that the oldest son automatically um, it, it inherits everything from the father who passes away. So similarly, one who attains this consciousness, as here he probably says, it refers to the hereditary right to the Lord's mercy. A devotee must simply engage in devotional service, not caring about material situations. Then he automatically becomes a rightful candidate for promotion to the Vaikuntha, to Vaikuntha Loka. The devotee who renders unalloyed devotion, unalloyed service to the Lord gets the right to be promoted to Vaikuntha Loka, just as a son inherits the property of his father. So this is this this verse, as Prabhupada said, is the guide for all devotees, um, because stuff happens in the material world, and if we react to how things happen in a God conscious way, and not only God conscious, but in in a, in a devotional way, it, it, what it does is it kind of cuts at the root of the reason we're in the material world, right? We have envy for Krishna. And 
developing this attitude of thanking Krishna when things go great, when things go not so great, that, that, and not blaming him, because that, you know, that's what often happens. Why did Krishna do this? Why did God do this to me? I don't believe in that nonsense anymore. Um, seeing Krishna for who he is as the all loving, all wonderful God, um, then there's no reason to be in the material world anymore. Therefore, mukti pade. One doesn't have to, they're, they're no longer have a mentality that keeps us here in this world. So it's very, very powerful. And that's why I always think it's great when Prabhupada says in Nectar of Devotion, this is, should be the guide for all devotees. And we see in Prabhupada's life, he, you know, he just kept going on. He, he you know, he, his, his trying to open up the League of Devotees and Jansi, it fell through when the governor's wife wanted that building for her, you know, tea parties or whatever, social gatherings. And, and you know, um, getting two heart attacks on the Jaladuta, getting attacked by a cow in the streets of Delhi, um, uh, having to like you know, rooming with a madman and in, in the Bowery, you know, a devotee. Well, not I should say, but a devotee who had mental health issues, getting his Bhagavad Gita manuscript stolen, and. You know, just say, okay, well, Krishna, this week, and he just kept doing his devotional service. So it's a very, very powerful verse. And we see here that it was, like I said, it was said in the previous chapter and then twice here in two purports on after. Any uh, questions, comments, thoughts? You know, I have a comment, I guess, um, in what you're just saying. So it's not what happens to us, it's how we react to it. Correct. Yes. And it's easy to talk about it, and it's hard to do it. And I really uh, thankful to the devotees. Like you know, without your association, uh, we cannot get repeating this information. Like you know, in a conditioned life, I keep forgetting again, like again and again and again, uh, because of the Prabhupada mercy. And then, like we are able to get an association of devotees, we can able to hear. I really yeah. appreciate and thank you for your. Um, you. You're right, Sakshi Gopal. The others don't have access. I mean, we're so. You're absolutely right. We, we don't. We're. We don't realize how privileged we are to have access to this. This approach to God consciousness is. It's uh, quite extraordinary, not to have any. As as uh, Rajvi Hari Prabhu was so nicely saying, not to have any resentment about God at all. To have our no expectation uh, except the desire to serve, uh, continue to serve. So wonderful. Yes. Um, yeah, and and using um, Andy's point before about war on Maya. You know, this Bhagavatam is the very means of conquest in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest. So, um, and, and to your point, Shakshi Prabhu, that we're forgetful by nature in, in, in our conditioned state, we're forgetful by nature. So we need regular reminders and therefore Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. And, you know, I hope I don't embarrass him, but, you know, Henry here listens to two or three Bhagavatam classes every day. He, he goes to this, this temple and this time zone and to that temple and that time zone. Um, 
And so Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Nityam means eternal, but it also means regular. <clears throat> like that. So our time is up for today. We'll just read the verses um, that end this chapter next week. And then the homeworks will be um, oops, in the uh, next chapter, which is entitled The Demigods Appeal to the Lord for protection. So we start a new, uh, we, we're, we will be, we're, Gajendra has gone back to God and so we're not gonna talk about him anymore. He's having a great time with Krishna and we're gonna move on to the next uh, part of the Bhagavatam. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you, thank you for all that you Thank you, Hare Ball. Hey, thank you to the devotees.